Good evening, everybody. Great time of worship. Really appreciated Aaron's worship tonight. Tonight we'll be in Genesis chapter 35. If you'll turn there in your Bibles, chapter 35 of Genesis. And while you're doing that, I'm going to pray. Lord, we thank you for tonight. The ability to come together and open up your word, the very word of God, and to study it and to spend time in it. And it's an awesome thing to be able to do. And I never want to forget that. We never want to forget that. To open up your Bible and to read it uh, as a love letter written from you to us is such a blessing. And we pray that we'd be open to receive everything you have for us. We pray our hearts would be open and receptive to your word being planted deep in our hearts and that it would bear a lot of fruit. And so, God, I pray that you'd speak to us by your Holy Spirit, through your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Jacob just got done kind of rebuking his boys for doing what they shouldn't have done. Their sister had been taken by one of the locals, and uh, he wanted to make her his wife, and um, he did things to her he shouldn't have done before they were married. And... Uh, the boys took vengeance for her uh, to protect her honor, and um, that's a good thing, um, sort of. They, they took one of the most holy things, though, that God had given uh, to Abraham, to Isaac, uh, the, the badge of circumcision, and they had used it to gain advantage over the community and to um, go ahead and kill all the males. It was a horrible thing. Um, the idea behind protecting their sister was a good thing. They did that so that, um, well, it was the right thing to do. She, she was unprotected. Her dad didn't do what he was supposed to do. And we learned a little bit about that and from that as being husbands, not to let things go, to stand up for righteousness. And so as we pick up in chapter 35 here, Jacob returns to Bethel, which means Beth and El, El meaning God and Beth meaning house, the house of God. Um, this is God's call back to where Jacob and him began their relationship. And sometimes we need that. So that'll be uh, most of the theme tonight. In verse one, then God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel, the house of God, and dwell there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree, which was by Shechem. God's call to Jacob was exciting to him. It had been a while maybe since he had heard and gotten direction from the Lord, and They've been through a rough spell as a family. Remember, this family's very mixed, very blended, a lot like our families are today. A lot of our families aren't sure how in the world can we straighten this mess out. So many different problems in our homes and in our families, and the Word of God has never been more relevant than it is tonight or today during our time period. He says to them, to his family, as he gets this call from God, we've got to do three things. Let's get rid of the foreign gods in our home. Apparently, they were out in the open. They'd gotten to the place where they were so comfortable with them sitting on the stand over here or on top of the table over there. They didn't even give them a second thought. 
And Jacob says, we need to get rid of those things. The second thing is to purify yourselves. You need to get your hearts and your minds right as we go to worship the true and living God. It's difficult to do sometimes in the home, maybe. Maybe it's not. Maybe for some it's easier. I know that for a lot of families, when they get up and they're getting ready to rush to church and they're trying to find shoes for the kids and um, maybe not everybody's cooperating like they'd hoped, tensions can rise, tempers can flare, words can be said that shouldn't be said, and when they arrive at church, they're in no way uh, prepared to worship God. Their hearts aren't prepared. They're not softened. And that's one of the reasons I wrote that on one of the comments. And I love the comments you guys are putting up. Continue to do those. I mean, listen to the teaching tonight, please. But continue to do those comments for one another. One of the comments I posted was, prepare your hearts in prayer. Sitting in your living room, on your couch, or in your kitchen, or wherever you may be tonight, prepare your hearts to receive the Word of God. It takes time to get rid of all the things of the day. The, the distractions maybe going across the room, walking right in the middle of the living room and so on. Dogs, cats, believe me, Satan will be busy trying to get our eyes and minds off of the Lord. It's up to us to quiet ourselves, to get ourselves prepared. And so Jacob calls on his family to purify themselves. The third thing he says is you need to change your garments. Now, that's just not change your clothes or, you know, put on a clean T-shirt or whatever. This is removing the garments that you've begun to put on yourself that reflect the society around you. Somewhere along the lines, these guys started dressing like Hittites and the Canaanites and so on. We didn't look like Israelites anymore. We don't look like the sheep herders that we are. We've gotten corrupted in that area. Change your garments. Put on the proper garments that are worthy of worshiping the Lord. And that doesn't mean dress up in a three-piece suit and your tie and all that. That's that's not what it's getting at. It means maybe a little more uh, moderation, being moderate in the way we dress, being more intentional about the way we dress. And so he wants them to do those three things, foreign gods, purify yourselves in your garments, because we're going to go, but before we go, we need to prepare ourselves to worship him. And we can't worship God if we're worshiping foreign gods. We can't worship God if we're not pure, lifting up holy hands without wrath to the Lord. We need to do that, getting our hearts right. And then our garments need to be appropriate to worship the Lord in. I think of all the garage sales and yard sales we have about this time of year. I don't know how we're going to do that this spring. So we're going to collect an enormous amount of, well, stuff, maybe junk, but stuff for the most part, unused things, things that collect. We like to do that every now and then, go through and clean house and get out all these things. How did this get here? And spiritually speaking, as a Christian, we need to do that every once in a while to examine our spiritual house and go into the closets and see what kind of uh, spiritual accumulation we have. Things that need to go, things that we've added to our walk with the Lord or things we've forgotten to get out of the drawer and to use. There's two things that happen when you clean your house. You find things that you could really use and you've been missing and you find things that you're never ever going to use and probably shouldn't be in your house anyway. A lot of those as seen on TV objects, perhaps. Our spiritual walk needs to be the same. We need to clean house, have garage sales, or better yet, maybe just a a bonfire. Get rid of those things. Cleanse ourselves. Get rid of those foreign gods that have distracted us from worshiping the true and living God. Getting rid of the things, the garments that we've acquired that maybe aren't what we should be wearing. Now, God looks at the heart, 
Of course. And that's the point. In James chapter 2, verses 18 through 24, James understands that you have faith and you talk about the Lord. But he says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. It's not about doing good deeds. It's about if I truly believe the Bible, then my life will reflect that. If I believe that that's inappropriate for a Christian to do, then I won't do those inappropriate things. If I don't think that I should say that or wear that or eat that or do that or whatever it may be that speaks to you from God's word, if you believe it truly, then we'll live a life that reflects that we believe that. I mean, that goes without saying, but somehow we can convince ourselves that just nodding our head in approval of the Bible, oh yeah, 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 that's true. Somehow we get it in our heads that that is being obedient to God's word. And that's not the same thing. Acknowledging that God's word is true is the first step. But the second step is then to do what needs to be done. If you're not a doer of the word and a hearer only, then your faith is dead, he says. We've got to be doers. And so Jacob says, we believe in one true God. We serve the true and living God. If that's so, let's get rid of the foreign gods, purify ourselves, and get our garments changed. Verse 5. And they journeyed. And the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel. It's called Luz now. It's going to be changed to Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him, and he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, which means God of the house of God, because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. Jacob is returning to that first place where it was now a personal relationship with God, not dad's God, not mom's God, not great grandpa's God or grandpa's God. It's my relationship with the Lord, which every single person in this world has to do. My parents' faith, as strong as it may have been, was not my faith. My faith has to be my faith. It has to be something that I develop with the Lord, my walk. I work out my own salvation, not somebody else's, nor can I let them work it out for me. And so this is the place where Jacob first encountered the Lord. First time he realized, this is my God, not my dad's God. It's the one I serve, the one who's alongside of me, the one who looks at me and doesn't talk about me like I'm not in the room. He loves me, and Jacob realized that. And God now, after all of these years, has brought him back to that place. God is faithful to wait for Jacob to come back to that place where his first love appeared. Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. The church of Ephesus is reminded of this by a letter written by Jesus. These are love letters. Sometimes they're rough, but... He says this to the church, nevertheless, I have this against you. Nobody wants to hear that, but here it is. That you have left your first love. 
Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent, and repent means turn. Unless you get back to that place where that first love began. Do you all remember that place? Can you, can you sit back and think of that time when Jesus became real to you? Not someone you'd heard of, not somebody that's on TV maybe and a movie that you've watched, um, not your parents' Jesus, not your pastor's Jesus, but your Jesus. Do you remember that? We're never to grow out of that. That's our home. That's where we stay. That's our first love, our only love, a place that we need to uh, visit frequently. One of the things we encourage uh, married couples to do is to have date nights. It's, I know. Good luck having a date night now. You know, A and G's will never be so packed in three weeks. It's going to be an hour to two hour wait, and I can't wait for that. And I will gladly stand in line waiting for a table at that fantastic restaurant. And no, they didn't pay me to do that. It's my favorite. Love that place. Such good food. We're so blessed to have a restaurant like that. And that is our date night spot for Jenny and I. We'd like to go to St. Joe maybe or Kansas City, but as we get to thinking about those plans and trying a different restaurant and maybe walking around the plaza or something, it gets to be, that's awfully far, you know? We spend a lot of time driving as opposed to just talking with one another, having that date night, that first love, reminding ourselves that we're not just parents, She's not just a pastor's wife, and I'm not just a pastor or a realtor and all the things that she does, but that we're husband and wife, remembering that. Even in ministry, we can do that sometimes. As a pastor, you can be so busy about the live feed, and we can be so busy about the the gear that we need to get or uh, whatever it may be, the busyness of ministry that needs to be done. Forget to sit down and just have a date night with God. And remember, remember why you're doing what you're doing here. It's because God called you to do this as a, as a sign of affection towards him. You serve God because you love him, not because it's your duty or responsibility or the next thing to do on Wednesday or Sunday, because you love him with an everlasting love and you want the world to know that. So you need to have date nights. This is their date night. Jacob's being brought back to the first place they ever had a meal together, the first place they ever fellowshiped together, one-on-one. It's a beautiful thing. He's returning to his first love. And God has been faithful and been with Jacob, but waiting here for this moment. Wonderful. And he's just doing the same for us. Now, verse 8. Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried below Bethel under the terebinth tree. So the name of it was called Elon Bekhuth, and I don't think I pronounced that correct, but I'm awfully close. Now, this is Rebecca's nurse, um, Isaac's wife, um, and that's all it says. It just lets us know that this is a place where this happened. Um, not much to elaborate on here, but the fact that it took place um, is important that uh, now that they're back, this is where she died. So there's a lot of sadness um, there's a lot of, uh, there's a loss here. They miss her. Verse nine, then God appeared to Jacob again when he came to Padanaram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be Jacob or be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Also, God said to him, um, I am God almighty. 
Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, I give to you, and to your descendants after you, I give this land. Then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. So Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him Bethel, or house of God. And that's how it gets its name, from Luz, much better name, Bethel. This is where Jacob gets his calling. It's a calling to ministry. It doesn't look like it, though. He doesn't tell him like he does a prophet. Hey, prophet, I want you to say what I want you to say to this group of people over here. It's not a calling like, I think I'm supposed to start start uh, uh, an orphanage over there or plant a church over here. Those are kind of the things we think of when we think of a calling into the ministry. Jacob's calling into the ministry is very clear here. Jacob, I've got some things I want you to do. First of all, we're not going to call you Jacob anymore which means deceiver, but I'm going to call you Israel, which means governed by God. So the first thing in your ministry, Jacob, is I want you to be governed by me. First and foremost, the most important thing of any ministry is that it's governed by God. It must be ruled by God. It cannot be ruled by committee or democracy, a group consensus, or however else we want to put it. has to be governed by God. First thing. Second thing I want you to do is I want you to be fruitful and I want you to multiply. I want to bless you. I want you to not even just acquire wealth, but I want you to let things build up. I am building up a nation here. I want you to think bigger than just yourself, your family, your 401k, Jake. I want you to think of something bigger here. We're establishing something here so rock solid then it'll be a nation one day. So I want you to be fruitful, and I want you to multiply. I want you to have a lot of kids, and I want your kids to have a lot of kids. We're building a nation here, not just a, a large family. We're not the Rockefellers or, or whatever name is out there that reminds you of a wealthy family that has a lot of control or power. I want to build a nation out of you, a new nation I'm birthing here from your family, Jacob. Huge calling. In other words, I want you to be governed by me, and I want you to raise up a lot of kids that are governed by me, and a lot of grandkids that are governed by me, and I want to make a nation of people that are governed by me. That's what I want. The nation of Israel is called that to this day. They're supposed to be governed by God. I don't believe that they are. We support Israel 100%. Don't get me wrong, but there is so much atheism in Israel at this point. I'm not so sure it is being governed by God. There is an appearance of religion. There's a lot of um, ceremony. But if anybody's truly seeking the will of God, it's, it's hard to find sometimes. In any case, that's the second step. Governed by God, be fruitful and multiply. And the third thing in here is this is where it's going to happen on this land that I'm giving you. Governed by God. I want you to have a lot of kids that love me, and I want you to do it here in this spot. You're not to be moved. You're not to venture off. It's in this land that I gave to your father Abraham, that I gave to your father Isaac. It's this land that I want to do this in. I want to do it in this location. So many people are trying to tell Israel what's their land, what's not their land, where they should go, who they should give it to. 
if you consider it a ministry like it is here, this is a call. Nobody can tell Jacob. Nobody can tell Israel what's their ministry. This is from God. You think I'm going to obey man? Or should I obey God? Of course you're going to obey God. That's with all of our ministries. Your family, I think of Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Don't let the world tell you. Be a Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the world tells me I need to give a little over here and change a little over there. And you're, you're not doing it right. I mean, yeah, I get the Christianity thing, but can't we mush it into this mold of the world over here? And you can't. You've got to do and I've got to do what God calls us to do with the ministries he's called us to. And we need to have scripture, a time with the Lord like Jacob has right here to hold on to in those difficult times when compromise will be thrust upon us. I want you to compromise in this area. Even in our own minds, Satan will whisper, I want you to compromise. I want you to compromise. No, I will be governed by God. I will be fruitful. I'm going to multiply, and it's going to be here that I'm going to do it. I'm not going anyplace else. Then God went up from him, which means he was physically there with him, ministering to him and speaking with him. And so Jacob marks it down. This is the place. This is the time. Guys, when God shows you something like this, when you have these moments with God, and it doesn't have to be as clear as this, obviously. It could be just a time in your quiet time when you realize today's day. It could be a message like this. Today's the day my family gets rid of the foreign gods. Today's the day my family purifies themselves. Today's the day my family changes their garments. And we're going to worship the true and living God from here on out. And even after COVID-19 disappears, I'm going to still worship the true and living God in good times and in bad times. Sometimes we, we call out to God when it's rough or difficult. But today was sunny, wasn't it? So many people were out walking. It was so great to see. When COVID's over, when there'll be another crisis, but in those mean times, in those valleys, in those high places, worship the true and living God in an even way, constantly. None of these things move me, Paul said. One of my favorite verses. All the things that happened to me, I got wealthy, I got shipwrecked, all that goes through this whole list of stuff. And he says, but none of these things moved me. I want to be that kind of rock in the ministry. So he sets up a rock pours a drink offering on it, pours oil on it, and says, we're calling this place House of God. Wonderful. Good job. Verse 16. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth. This is the birth of Benjamin. And she had hard labor. Now it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, do not fear, you will have this son also. And so it was, as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Ben-Oni. But his father called him Benjamin. Now, one means son of my sorrows. The other means um, son of my right hand. I think son of my right hand would, was a better choice. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath. That is, she was buried in Bethlehem. Now, that's important. We'll read that scripture that goes along, a prophecy, actually. And Jacob set up a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Then Israel journeyed. And see how he's calling them that now instead of Jacob. Israel journeyed, governed by God, journeyed and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. 
And it happened when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. It was a strange thing, right? Remember how mixed up this family is? Remember how we've just been reading in this chapter this wonderful moment where the whole family is turning towards God, changing their garments, purifying themselves, getting rid of foreign gods. And after all this, a couple deaths later, Reuben decides to lay with his father's wife. Now, granted, he's got four wives. It's a mixed up situation. I'm not sure Reuben is all there spiritually, not on board necessarily. But it's encouraging in this way. The ministry isn't perfect. Even after the calling, even after the establishment of ground rules, no foreign gods, purifying ourselves, different garments, we're going to be governed by God, we're going to be fruitful and multiply, and this is the place we're going to do it, we still have sin in the camp. Things happen sometimes. We don't throw in the towel and say, fine, we're moving we're not going to do it in this land. Fine, we're not going to multiply anymore. Kids are nothing but a headache. Fine, we're not going to be fruitful anymore. I'm just going to go ahead and spend all the money that I have. Fine, I'm not going to be governed by God. I'm going to do my own thing. Nobody throws a tantrum here and gives up because Reuben blows it. They continue on. We need to continue on. We'll have great times in the ministry, whatever ministry we're called to, in our families and in this world. But you're going to have bad days too doesn't mean you quit. doesn't mean you stop. Maybe even seasons of bad days. And that means it goes on for a year or two or more. doesn't mean you quit. You can't quit. God hasn't changed the calling on Israel's life. It's still the same calling. Nothing's changed, Jake, except your name, governed by God. And if you're going to be governed by God, that means you're going to let me govern even through this Reuben incident. So whatever incidents come into our lives, whatever sins show up, whatever events take place, am I still going to be governed by God? And I want to be. So he does this. It's a, it's a tough spot. This Rachel dying, I don't want to skip that and go over that. She died during the birth of Benjamin. He's the 12th son. There's a prophecy about uh, Jesus here. I want to read it to you. It's in Matthew chapter 2, verses 16 through 18. It's after Jesus was born. Herod, the king, crazy king, finds out about it. He realizes he's been duped by the wise men. They didn't come back and tell him where they had found the Christ child. So he gets exceedingly angry in verse 16 of chapter 2. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem, where Rachel died. And in all its districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This is the place. This is the beginning. Rachel's buried here in Bethlehem in this causing Jeremiah to prophesy about the location, and then the fulfillment of that prophecy in Matthew chapter 2 is being heard right here. Now, the 12 sons. These are Jacob's 12 sons. This is the list. 
by the way. There are lots of lists of Jacob's sons in the Bible, the tribes of Israel, and sometimes some of the guys are missing. You'll notice that as you go through here. Sometimes Joseph gets named, gets gets divided into two groups, you know, and we'll read about that when we get to Joseph here, when he has his boys. But for now, these are the tribes of Israel right here. Now, the sons of Jacob were 12. The sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel, who just died in Bethlehem, were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bila, that's the gal that just got with Reuben. Um, her sons were Dan and Naphtali. And the sons of Zilpah, that was Leah's maidservant, were Gad and Asher. So those are the 12 tribes, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, Benjamin, uh, Naphtali, um, Gad and Asher, those are the 12. Now, remember them or don't, makes no difference, but remember this location, circle in your Bible. Whenever you're wondering what are the real 12 tribes, here they are, right here. Here's your location. Now, Isaac dies. Then Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron. So three different names for the same location, Mamre, Kirjath Arba, or Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had dwelt. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. So Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people being old and full of days and his sons, both of them, Esau and Jacob buried him. They both came together for the burial of their father. Interesting time, hard time for them. It's a hard time when the person who maybe led you to the Lord or a person who you trusted in to be your teacher, you be your guide, whether that's your father or somebody else, when they move on, when they pass on and you realize it's up to me to walk with the Lord now. It's up to me to read my Bible. No one's going to read it to me anymore. I've got to read it. I've got to apply it to my life. I have to walk in the ways of the Lord. I have to figure this out. It's interesting. Jacob's at that moment. Now he's an older guy. So, are, so is Esau. They've got a, a lot of people. They've been around the block for sure. But it's not dad's faith anymore. Uh, Abraham's gone. Isaac's gone now. It's truly up to Jacob or Israel to carry on this faith and to pass on and teach all those up under him, all the generations that are going to come about the Lord and to walk with them. It's his responsibility. Abraham can't do it. Isaac can't do it anymore. It's up to them. Our final scripture tonight is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. I like this. We have it as a, uh, it was given to Jenny at a women's retreat, and uh, it's, by, um, it's on our nightstand by our bed. It says this, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. That's Paul writing to his young pastor, Timothy, about being put into the ministry. God put me in the ministry. God found me faithful. And then he describes all of his qualifications. Can you imagine this? Being in, a, <laughs> in your resume to become a pastor at a small church? Hi, my name's J.D., um, I'm a, well, I was a blasphemer. I'm a persecutor. I'm an insolent man. Uh, I'm ignorant and I'm an unbeliever, but I've changed. God says I'm supposed to be in the ministry. I wonder if you get a second interview. 
Paul says that about himself when he's speaking to his young protege, Timothy. Timothy, please remember, I count, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me. Christ is the enabler. He calls Jacob, Israel. He calls you. He calls myself. He calls Timothy. He calls Paul. And he enables us for that ministry. All of us are in the same boat. I'm as bewildered as, as Jacob is right now without a dad. I'm as bewildered as Paul might have been when he first got saved, or Timothy, realizing that Paul is trying to pass the torch to him. We're as as bewildered. All of us are in the same boat. Some of you dads and some of you parents at home are sitting there saying, you're kidding me. It's my responsibility to pass on this knowledge of God to my, I don't know enough. I don't think I can do it. I haven't read enough. I didn't memorize I was supposed to. God enables us. He will call us, and he has. He'll he'll equip us and enable us. He'll fill us with his spirit who leads us and guides us into all truth. When you open up the Bible, only share what you know. Only share what the Holy Spirit's taught you. You don't have to worry about knowing all of it. Just share what you know. Live what you know in obedience to God. God's holding us accountable for what we know, not for what we don't know. He doesn't hold Jacob accountable for what he doesn't know. He's holding Jacob accountable for what he does know. And every time I read or anytime we have an interaction like this, a Bible study, we know a little bit more. And now a little bit more is required of us. It is up to us. Isaac's not going to do it. Abraham's not going to do it. It's up to Jake. It's up to Israel to lead his family now, to lead this new nation. What a huge responsibility. And yet, it's God's responsibility. Jacob, I'm calling you, but look what he's called to do. I just want you to do what I tell you to do, Israel. Let me govern you. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. Guess who does that? God. And I want you to do it in this land. Guess who's going to give him the land? God. God does all the enabling. All Jake has to do is get rid of the foreign gods, purify himself, and change his garments. Just prepare yourself to worship the true and living God and let him do in you what he wants to do. He calls us and he enables us. And I thank God for that. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your chapter this morning that you gave us or this evening that you gave us to study, to read. Um, I think this is an amazing time for the church. For this body of believers, especially ours, this is an amazing time to reach out, to examine our lives, to do in our homes what's being done at a building someplace else, to make our homes a sanctuary, to make our homes Bethel, the house of God, to set up our own stone right in our own homes, to pour oil on it, to have that meal with God, welcome him into our homes, and let it be the house of God, a place where people know that this is a house that worships him. So Lord, we thank you for this time like Paul does. We thank you for the calling you've placed on our lives to be worshipers of yours, to to be doers of your word, not hearers only. And we also thank you for the promise of being the enabler. You're going to equip us. You're going to enable us. You're going to teach us. You're going to be with us. Your Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us into all truth. That actually all the work is going to be done by you. All you need are some obedient hands and feet, some mouths that will open when we're called to open them. 
some hands to move and to hand out, to hug, to be embrace, to be a blessing when you call them to do that. Some feet that move to run swiftly or to walk slowly or to stand still, but to be at your command. Thank you for that, God. Lord, bless everybody watching, live or later on. Bless them, Father. We're so excited for this Easter, Lord. This Sunday is going to be amazing. One of the most memorable Easter's any of us will ever have in our lifetimes are coming up this Sunday, and I'm so looking forward to it, God. Our houses, all of them, will be places of worship, a place where two or more or even one are gathered together, but because through this technology or whatever, whether you're alone or not, you'll be there in our presence. Easter will be bigger than it ever has been before. I was so excited, Lord, to hear that Billy, uh, well, Franklin Graham's going to do the Easter service from Central Park, New York, where nobody can come out on the green and watch, but they will all be tuning in. Lord, I believe in one of the midst of one of the greatest revivals maybe this country will ever see right now. And I so want to be a part of it and so thankful that you put us in a position to be a part of it. Lord, bless JC and Aaron and Garrett and Toby, and all the folks that have been helping out, getting this live stream on every single Wednesday and Sunday, getting equipment, testing it, practicing, running drills, making sure the videos are going to switch, the words are going to go up, all the things so that we have a distraction-free worship time, as best we can anyway. Thank you for these guys. Bless them. And I pray that there be such fruit from this. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.